Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and let's go to Mark chapter number 14, the book of Mark in chapter 14 this morning. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. Mark chapter 14 this morning. And I hope you have your Bible with you. If you do not, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us this morning. Mark chapter 14, as we continue our way through this study in the book of Mark. And we're coming this morning to verse number 54. You'll be reminded in our story of the book of Mark, Judas has already arrived at the garden. He's betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus has subsequently been arrested. And he's being led off here. Look at verse number 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. So they take Jesus to see all the power that there is in Jerusalem. Well, you can understand about this phrase, the high priest assembled with him, the high priest, the elders, the scribes, all of the political power, all of the spiritual power, all of the legislative power, anyone who holds any position is in this room to have this mock trial with Jesus here in this, in this palace. We won't read the trial specifically this morning, but we're going to see one character who's close by. He gives us an indicator of everything that happens. Look at verse 54. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at that fire. You'll remember, those of you who went to Israel with us, we went to the palace of the high priest. We got to walk down into that prison where they would have kept him in, a small little room, maybe 10 by 10 or so, perhaps a little bit smaller than that, a hole at the top of how they would have lowered him into. Right outside of the high priest house, they have a, a, a monument that's set there, which is where they believed they would have had the fire pit where Peter would have been warming his hands and had a confrontation that we're about to read of. Off in the distance from this place, you can see real close by, just off the, off the ledge, you can see over to your right, if you stand there, you can see the temple, temple mount that's on this, uh, over, over to your left-hand side. Over this way, the valley, over this way, the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what Peter would have been holding his hands by. Behind him would have been the, the house where they had the final Passover Peter made that bold proclamation. Everybody else will abandon you. I won't abandon you. I won't leave you. Everybody else will run. I won't run. Here's Peter following afar off, all by himself. Nobody else is there. Judas had betrayed him. The disciples ran. Verse 66, Peter was beneath the palace. And there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. I, I, and, and he went into the porch and the cock crew. The maid saw him again. 
and began to say unto them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they that stood by said to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. They say, your, your accent betrays you. You aren't, you aren't from around here. You talk like one of them. And the second time, the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said unto him. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he had thought thereon, he wept. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives and teach us what you'd have for us to learn from the, this encounter with the Apostle Peter. And Father, show us. Show us what it means for us today. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Why do we have stories like these in the Bible? You ever wondered that? Why do we have stories like these in the Bible? Well, first, the reason that they are recorded for us is because they actually happened. This is the truth around the event of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the writers of the Bible are giving us all the, the moving parts, the moving pieces of the story. They're, they're wanting you and I to understand everything that's happening with everyone in the life of Jesus. The second reason, though, is because they're recorded for our teaching the authors of the Bible are writing them by way of inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And they're aimed at teaching us something. Something about Jesus, something about these men, something about ourselves. In fact, I think if when we read stories like this, we aren't, we aren't moved, we aren't bothered by them just a little bit, then perhaps it's an indicator that something is wrong in our own hearts. Or perhaps we feel, when we read stories like this, as if we are removed from the possibility of doing this very same thing. I would, I would never do what Peter did. That's what many of us are prone to think of ourselves. I would never betray Jesus, deny Jesus the way that Peter had denied Jesus. If I were there, let me tell you what I would have said. I think when we respond in this way, I think it indicates that not only is there something wrong with our heart, but there's something wrong even in our own head. So let's ask a couple questions to get under the story. What is it that took Peter to the courtyard that day? That's the first question we're going to ask. What took Peter to the courtyard that day? The reality is that there's nothing in the Bible that specifically pinpoints why Peter was there. You can't go to a verse and read along the verse and say, the reason that Peter went to the courtyard, the reason he stood outside the palace, the reason that he followed afar off was, and fill in the blank. There's no verse like that in the Bible. Of course, there are plenty of hints along the way. Matthew, in his record of this event, Matthew chapter 26, verse number 58, says that Peter went there because he wanted to see 
the outcome of things. He wanted to know how it was going to end. So maybe what took Peter to the courtyard was curiosity. And Peter was interested in how these events would play out. I mean, after all, he had walked away from his fishing business. He had left it all and he'd followed Jesus these three and a half years now. And now he wants to see how the story will end. Or maybe Peter's simply trying to put all the pieces together. He knows what Jesus has done. He's heard what Jesus has taught. He knows what affirmations he himself has made about Jesus. And so he wants to put all the pieces together as it relates to this one who he professed was the Messiah. And maybe Peter is going to the courtyard that day out of loyalty. And one of the things that really marks the Apostle Peter is his unflinching loyalty to Christ. Peter has these forceful affirmations. Peter says in front of all of the disciples, everyone else will leave you, but I will never leave you. Peter has said to, to Jesus directly, look, all these guys may pack it in. All these guys may move out. But not me. I'm here to stay. I'll be with you to the end. So maybe the reason why Peter follows Jesus afar off, maybe what takes Peter to the courtyard is his loyalty to, to Jesus. And when Peter is saying, everyone else will abandon you, but I will not, there is no reason to doubt that Peter in that moment believed what he was saying. He was expressing the conviction of his own heart. Maybe it was curiosity. Maybe it was loyalty. Maybe what took Peter to the courtyard that day was bravery. I mean, we might criticize for Peter for a lot of things, but when that Roman troop came to arrest Jesus, it wasn't just one or two guards. There was a slew of them. And when they come to arrest Jesus, there's only one who reaches for the dagger and pours it, pulls it out and takes a swipe at one of the guards who are trying to shackle Jesus. And that one was Peter. And while Jesus doesn't, appreciate what Peter is doing for him in the moment, at least Peter responded in a defensive way. All the other disciples ran. Peter's at least willing to stand, is he not? He's willing to at least stand against unsurmountable odds. Maybe it was curiosity, maybe it was loyalty, maybe it was bravery. Maybe it was arrogance. Maybe the reason why Peter has gone to that garden is because he has not heeded the word of Jesus. And Jesus said, you need to be watchful, Peter. The, the, the devil desires to sift you like wheat. You need to be careful, Peter. There's a big target on your back. And maybe what took Peter to the garden was, don't worry, Jesus, I got this. I can handle this. This won't, this won't trip me up. I'm in control. I'm in charge. There's no situation that I could find myself in that I would, I would become the victim. Maybe it was arrogance. Maybe what took Peter to the garden that day was love. And Peter loved Jesus. Peter, Peter loved Jesus passionately. 
Peter loved Jesus so much that he trusted even the word of Jesus. When Jesus says to Peter, if you want to walk on the water, just get out of the boat and come to me. And that's exactly what Peter did. He stepped right out of the boat and he begins to walk to Jesus. Peter begins to sink. and The Bible says that Jesus reaches down, pulls him up out of the water. Peter had a love for Jesus. What was it that took Peter to the garden? In truth, it was probably a little bit of all of these things. It was his loyalty, it was his love, it was his boldness, it was his quick tongue, it was his arrogance, it was his, it was his inability to identify the weakness of his own heart, of his own life. And in that moment, in the crucible of loneliness and isolation and fear, guess what Peter does? Peter denies Christ. What led Peter to the garden? But there's a second question we should ask ourselves in considering the story. What led to Peter's defeat? What led to Peter's defeat? Well, you notice in the story, the Bible reads like this. Look at verse number, look at verse number uh, 67. And when she saw Peter warming himself. Verse 66 says it's, the, it's one of the maids. Literally, it's a servant girl. That's the, that's the phrase. What led to Peter's defeat? Well, you, you might understand Peter having denied Christ if it said, and a... A, uh, a, a dozen centurions surrounded Peter and said, aren't you one of those men with him? But that's not what it says. You, you, you might understand Peter's denial if it said, and these dozen centurions surrounded Peter with clubs and sticks and swords and under threat of painful persecution, Peter denied Jesus. But that's not what it says. It says a servant girl, a maid, a girl who has no authority, who has no power, who has no possible way of bringing direct harm to Peter, says that she saw him by the light of the fire and says, this man was with him also. And Peter says, no, that wasn't me. You're talking to the wrong person. Peter says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no idea who you're talking about. He runs away from there. She finds him again. He denies again. She runs away from there. And they say, yeah, you, you got a funny accent. You ain't from these parts, are you? You sound just like he sounds. And Peter denies three times. And the Bible says, when the cock crew the second time, Peter remembered. Look, look at the phrase. Look at the, verse number 72. Peter called to mind the word. Peter remembered exactly what Jesus had said. What led to Peter's defeat? Well, I'll give you a couple observations. We'll do them in a ascending order. First, he, he took the easy route out. But why was Peter defeated that day? Here's why. He took the easy route out. Peter settled for immediate gratification. You see, the hard thing to do would have been to say, yes, I do know him. And yes, I am with him. And 
yes, I am a follower of his. But in that moment, Peter, his response was not, yes, I do know him. His response in that moment was, no, I don't know that guy. I'm certain that Peter's response must have even surprised himself. That once the words came out of his mouth, I'm certain Peter must have wondered, why did I just say that? You ever been there? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been surprised by your own words? Surprised by your own actions? This is the Apostle Peter, quite literally. He tells a lie, and before he realizes that he tells a lie, before he even has a chance to realize what he has just done, Peter is kind of settling in for the comfort of the moment. I'm glad I said that because that might have got me in some trouble around here. Peter took the easy route out. There's a principle here, is there not? When you and I settle for the easy route, when you and I, look here, settle for immediate gratification, we find ourselves in defeat. We find ourselves in a position of compromise. We find ourselves in a, in a place, in a spot that we never thought we would be because we settle for the easy thing rather than the hard thing. Moses chose rather, the writer of Hebrews says, to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses could have taken the easy route out. He could have denied ever knowing Hebrews or the Israelites. He could have pretended as if he was not one of them, but he settled instead for the hard thing rather than the easy thing. And David went for the easy route out. When he stood on his rooftop that day, looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing herself. He took the easy route instead of the hard route. He settled for immediate gratification. The Bible says David responds by sending and inquiring of who Bathsheba is and then bringing her to his house. And I'm certain at some point David must have stopped along the way. Went, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why did I say that? But instead of doing the hard thing and the right thing, he did the easy thing. And Joseph took the hard road with Potiphar's wife as she snatches him by his garment, says the master of the house is out. No one will know any different. Joseph flees the scene, the Bible says. He settles for the hard thing instead of the easy thing. He doesn't take the easy route out and look for immediate gratification in the moment. Look here, friend. Look here, friend. You want to find yourself on the side of victory more than on the side of defeat as it relates to your spiritual growth? Do not settle for immediate gratification of self. Instead, live for the Savior. We kid ourselves if we do not realize that any one of us is one nanosecond away from this kind of defeat. 
Don't pretend like simply because you have in the past made some great affirmation of who Christ is, of what Christ has done, of the truth of who our God is. Think that somehow, in some way, that makes us immune or incapable of this kind of defeat in a moment just like this. What took Peter to the garden? Was it love? Was it arrogance? Was it bravery? Was it loyalty? Was it curiosity? It was probably all these things. But look here, when he got there, he settled for the easy thing instead of the hard thing. What took you to that room, to that website, to that place, to that restaurant, to that office, to that meeting? It's probably a host of a bunch of things. And when you got there, you know what you did? You settled for the easy thing instead of the right thing. What led to Peter's defeat? He took the easy way. What led to Peter's defeat? He panicked. He panicked. We won't do this. We covered this already in the, 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 the prayer on the Garden of Gethsemane. I think we preached on this about three weeks ago. If you want to go back and remind yourself. But you can do one of two things. You can either panic or you can pray. You find yourself in a moment of difficulty. Now remember, it's only been just a, a few hours since Peter's great statement, since Peter's wonderful affirmation, since Peter's fantastic proclamation. Everybody else will pack it in and move out, but I won't, Jesus. I'll be here till the end. It's only been hours since Peter was swinging a sword and trying to defend Jesus from being arrested you ever wondered how it is that you can go from one bold step like that to getting ran over by a servant girl's question? You ever wondered how you can go from getting an A plus in declaring who Christ is and your love and your loyalty to him to getting an F minus at the question of a servant girl? He panicked. Remember what Jesus told him? Jesus says, Peter, the hour of temptation will come. And when temptation comes, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He tells him it three times. And the hour of temptation came for, G for Peter. And what happened? Instead of watching and praying, he panicked. He panicked. What leads to this kind of defeat in your heart, in your life, in my heart, and in my life? We take the easy route. We panic instead of pray. Let me give you a third one. What led to this kind of defeat? Peter had no self-awareness. He didn't know himself. It's clear that Peter did not come to terms with What's true, namely, of all people, and that is this, Jeremiah 17, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? This is why the scripture is telling us we must guard our hearts. We must guard our thoughts. We must guard ourselves. Why? Because if we are not on guard, 
If we do not realize that any of us are very capable of even what the worst of us has already done, we'll find ourselves falling into these same kind of things. Peter had failed to realize what Jesus had told him about himself. No, 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 Peter, you will deny me if you do not pray. And Peter had thought more highly of himself than he ought to think. Peter was not aware of his own weaknesses in his life. Peter was not aware of his own temptation. Peter failed to hear what the apostle, or rather what the writer of the book of Hebrews says, that there is a temptation, there is a weight, there is a trap that so easily besets us that while you run your race, there are pitfalls that each of us are so prone to fall into. And Peter doesn't know this about himself. Do, do, do you understand this about yourself? Do I understand this about myself? That the situations of our lives, the circumstances of our lives could arrange themselves in such a way that we would find ourselves in the same exact position of defeat that the Apostle Peter has found himself in. That's why you must know the struggle of your own heart. It's why you must lean in to spiritual accountability, not pull back from spiritual accountability. That's why you need Christian friends who will encourage you in times of difficulty. That's why you need someone to call when the temptation is great. It's why you must do as the apostle Paul has said, flee also youthful lust. Just drop it all and run and get away from sin and lose the right hand and lose the right eye because it would be better for you to go into life maimed than it would be for your whole body and soul to be cast into hell because you didn't realize the temptation was so strong and great. What led to Peter's defeat? He took the easy route. He panicked. He didn't know himself. All of this falls on Peter's Shoulders and mind squarely, verse number, four, verse number 72, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said. After Peter remembers what Jesus has said, notice verse, the end of the verse, and when he thought thereon, look, look at it, he wept. What led Peter to the garden? What caused Peter to be defeated? Third, last thought. What was Jesus' response? What was the response? Now Peter's cut to the heart. Literally, that's what the phrase means. He thought thereon and wept. He called to mind what Jesus had said. And as a result of this, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. What's interesting about Mark's gospel is there's really not much mention after this of what interactions Jesus and Peter have. Of course, we know Peter and Jesus do have interactions. It's just not recorded for us in Mark. To find the interaction, you really have to fast forward in your Bible. Go to the book of John. 
Go to the book of John and go to verse 20, chapter 21, the end of the book of John. And Peter needed this encounter in the, in the courtyard, namely because Jesus had something very particular, very specific for the apostle Peter to do. Now I want you to look here. Jesus had told Peter this, Peter, you're going to fall away, you're going to be tempted, you're going to be defeated. And when you are, I want you to be restored. I want you to be reunited. And then, I want you to strengthen the brotherhood. I want, you're going to fall away, and then you'll be restored. And when you're restored, I want you to strengthen others. It's really a lesson, isn't it? That you and I do not first lead from a position of strength. You and I lead from a position of brokenness. What was the response? Here's the response. The response was three things. First, write this down. There was a brokenness from Peter. There was a brokenness from Peter. The Bible says Peter was calling to mind. He was weeping bitterly. He was cut to heart. It means he was, he was really shaken by the things that had happened, by the things that was done. I'm certain the words, not just of Jesus, but I'm certain the words of himself were being called to his mind. Who, who was he? Was, was he the Apostle Peter who made such brave, bold, loyal proclamations of Jesus? Was he the Apostle Peter who was courageous and daring and brave, swinging the sword? Or was he this Peter who cowered in the garden at the mention of a servant girl's words? Look at John chapter 21. Are you there? Look at John 21. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples on the sea of Tiberias. And on this wise, he showed himself. Here's the way he did. Look at verse 2. And there were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, we'll go with thee also. And they went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was now, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, no. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. And they cast therefore their, uh, their net and they, were able, and they were not able to draw because of the multitude of fishes. In verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat upon him for he was naked and he cast himself into the sea. And notice what happened. They had gone fishing. Christ calls to them from the shore. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He throws himself into the water and he fights the waves and he swims and he, and he wades and he does everything he can. He runs quite literally like a crazy man in order to get as close to Jesus as possible. Why? Why was Peter able to run toward Christ in this moment 
after what Peter had denied Christ just days earlier. Here's why. Because the first, for the first time in Peter's life, he understood the message of the gospel. He understood the reason for Jesus. You see, the determining factor in your or mine or Peter's relationship with God is not us. It's not our performance. It's not our past. It's not my record. It's Christ. The determining factor in your relationship with God is not you. It's him. It's what Christ has done for us. Peter, like you and me are so prone to do, had built his image on what he was going to do. Here's what I'm going to do for Jesus. Here's what I'm going to do for God. Here's what I'll never do to Jesus. Here's what I will never do to God. And when you have an image like that, you cannot run toward Christ. You run far away from Christ. Because when you build your image on yourself, on your own work, on your own ideas, on your own performances, well then you know that your work, your ideas, your performance, it is never enough. But if you build your relationship, your identity, your image, not on yourself, but on Christ, that even though I'm a sinner, I'm safe in the arms of Jesus because Jesus came to die for sinners. That even though I'm a sinner, I'm safe in the arms of Jesus because Jesus loves sinners. And he would rather lose his own life. He would rather lose his own self than to lose you or me. You find yourself safe in the arms of Christ. This is the difference between a religious person and a Christian. A religious person is only safe in their religion. They're only safe in their performity. They're only safe in their morality. But a Christian is safe because of Christ. And Peter has a moment of brokenness. He realizes who I thought I was, I am not. Who I proclaimed myself to be, I am not. But he realizes who Christ is. Peter has a moment of brokenness. He has a moment of brokenness. That's not all Peter has, though. Peter also has a bond. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 2, they were, look at this phrase, together. They were together. Now, that, that's significant. And here's why it's significant. Why are they together? Their teacher, their master, he'd been killed. He'd been executed, in fact. It was dangerous for them to be together. And yet they were together. Those moments of defeat in your heart and in my life, man, how do we find restoration? First, we have a brokenness. Second, there's a bond. You know what you need in your moments of weakness, in your moments of defeat? Look here. You know what you need in your moments of weakness, your moments of defeat, your moments of fear? You need to be together with other Christians. That's what you need. 
We tell ourselves the exact opposite. We say, well, I, I, I messed up, I tripped, I've fallen, I've stumbled, I've made some mistakes, I've, I've ruined some things, I've broken some things, I've denied the person I pretended to be is not who I am. I am a sinner. And what we do is we tell ourselves, well, well, I can't be around God's people if these are the things I've done. I can't be around the church if I've done these things. If they find out I did this, well, then they won't have anything to do with me. Shame on the church where that, where those kind of lies are in fact truths. You know the kind of people who sit among you right now? Only sinful people, that's it. How many of you this morning you say, Pastor, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. Let me see, slip your hand up. Look around the room, look around the room. Look. Keep your hand up for a second. Don't do one of those Baptist hand raises. Don't do that. Just keep it up there for a second. Look around the room. See, you, you knew you were in some bad company, didn't you? Ladies, make sure you keep your purses really close to you. You saw the person next to you say he was a sinner. And the devil tells you, the devil tells me when we mess up, we got to stay away from church. we got to stay away from Christians. we got to stay away from God's word. And it's the exact opposite. It's true. No, no, no. When you and I have weaknesses, when you and I tr stumble, when you and I trip and fall, when you and I have brokenness, we don't need to stay away. We need to press in. It's the lie of the devil that says they won't like you there. They'll think bad about you there. They'll say awful things about you there. You're not going to be welcome there. The church is full of sinful men and women. The apostle Paul says, of whom I am chief. Churches are not full of perfect people. The pastors aren't perfect people. Deacons aren't perfect people. Teachers aren't perfect people. Nursery workers aren't perfect people. The choir members aren't full of perfect people. You know why? Because there are no perfect people. This is not some, this is not some license to say, well, none of us are perfect. Why even try? No, no, this is saying I'm striving to walk in godliness and holiness. I'm striving to live out of love and loyalty to God. But along the path, man, I've stumbled. I walked into defeat. I took the easy way out. I settled for immediate gratification because I didn't realize the temptation of my own heart and how strong it was. But now I find myself broken. I find myself a sinner. I find myself not having any good work of my own. What should I do? You should press into the people of God. Find yourself good godly Christians and get around them and, and confide in them and ask for accountability from them. They were together. I wonder what your response, I wonder what my response to Peter would have been. Peter having denied, Peter having betrayed, Peter having been so arrogant and now coming back so broken. I wonder if you and I would have been like these guys and said, you know what, Peter, we'll go with you. We'll be there. It's what's interesting. Watch this. Look what happens in the verse. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Verse 3. Look at the verse. I'm going fishing. And they say to him, we also go with thee. So it's not just that broken people need the bond of good Christian fellowship. Broken people need the bond of good Christian friends. Look here. Good Christian friends need to be good Christian friends. 
You know how easy it would have been for the, for the other disciples to go, go ahead, you betrayer. Go ahead, you denier. Go ahead, you sinner. You're not welcome here anyway. That was them giving, they're giving them boot, they're kicking them out. But that's, that wasn't their response, was it? Their response was, we'll go with you. I wonder what friend you have who needs you to go be with him. Go be with her. I wonder what person in your life just needs to get a text message from you that says, hey, I prayed for you today. I want you to know that. Hey, I thought about you today. You know, I'm here if you ever want to talk. Love to get coffee and chat. I wonder what friend you need to be like that too. See, there was a bond. What do we do when we find ourselves in defeat? Well, we realize that first, we don't lead from a position of fullness. We always lead from a position of brokenness. Second, we realize that God has given us a bond. He's given us one another. He's given us a church. Quite literally, the church is God's people together. God's people together. One of my favorite moments in Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, even Wednesday evenings, one of my favorite moments of church, when I get done talking to whoever may be hanging around in the lobby or counseling someone in the office and I start to make my way down the, down the long hallway and I get close to the, to the playground area out underneath the tarps over, over here, and I start to get down there, I see all God's people just hanging out, just fellowshipping one with another. You know what that says? It says the bond, the bond is good. You should press into that. You should lean into that. But let me give you a third thought. Here's a third one. Ready? There's a beginning. There's a beginning. No matter what you've done, no matter how much you've blown up your life or the lives of others, there's always a fresh start. Look at me. Look at me. Your life does not have to be lived on plan B forever. Your life does not have to be lived as if you're settling for something. Peter's at the settle. Look at, look at chapter 21. Look at verse 15, verse 16. They get, he gets to the shore. They make a fire. They start to eat. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto them, or Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto them, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto thee, feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, Look here, that's him saying, Lord, you know. And I know you know. A few days ago, I didn't think you knew. You said I would deny you. I thought I knew better. But Lord, you know all things. I love you. 
And Jesus saith unto him, Verily, or Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep, verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, and girded thyself, and walkest whithersoever thou would goest, but when thou shalt be old, you will stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. He says, Peter, when you were, when you were young, you, were, you had all kinds of curiosity and all kinds of bravery and all kinds of loyalty and all kinds of love and all kinds of arrogance. And you just walked around and did whatever you want. But you're going to get old, Peter. And when you get old, someone else is going to carry you around. He's speaking here of Peter's death. Jesus asks him it three times. Do you love me? There's, there's, a couple, there's a couple parts to this, and I want you to get it. Why does he ask him the question three times? Here's the first one. Because he's making Peter take responsibility. It's kind of painful to read, isn't it? Just put yourself in the moment. Peter, do you love me, though? Do you love me more than these? Remember, what did Peter say? Peter had said, Jesus, I love you more than everybody else. And now Jesus is saying back to Peter, do you love me more than them? Remember, Peter, you said you loved me more than them kind of painful to read what's Jesus doing he's making Peter take responsibility you, you cannot start on the road to recovery if you do not first if you are not willing first to take responsibility for what has happened well, I only did that because they did I only said that because they did I only thought that because she did I only did this because it wasn't me, it was them. It wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, it was him. It wasn't me, it was... Peter is making, or Jesus is making Peter take responsibility. Notice from Peter, there's no blame shifting. He doesn't go, I, I do love you and you know I do, but I, I only said I didn't know you because there's no shifting. He's accepting full responsibility. He never says to Jesus, how many times are you going to ask me that question? How many more times are you going to go through this? I already told you once. He just takes full, full responsibility. Second, notice this. Jesus never brings up the action. Jesus never says to Peter, well, then why did you deny me when your hands are by the fire with that little girl? He never says that. He never says to Peter, well, will you do it again? He never says that. He, he simply says, Peter, do you realize why you didn't really love me? What, what, what was the actual behavior? What was the actual wrong? What, what was the actual transgression that Peter made? Well, he lied. He acted cowardly. He was denying. He was dishonest. But do you notice this? Jesus is not mentioning any of that. Jesus is not saying, do you love me? Well, why'd you lie? Do you love me? Why'd you do that? No. Jesus is saying, he's simply helping Peter realize, Peter, you loved comfort and immediate gratification more than you loved me. So Peter, do you love me? He's saying, Peter, you loved your pride and your arrogance more than you loved me. So Peter, do you love me? He's trying to help Peter get underneath why he made the choice he made. Sin is always an inward thing. And because sin is an inward thing, sin is a motivational thing. It's not just the action. It's not just the deed. It's the heart. It's the heart in it. 
And he's helping, Jesus is helping Peter see this. He helps Peter realize what was underneath the sin. He makes him take responsibility. He helps him realize what was underneath the sin. You love easy routes more than you love me. You love immediate gratification more than you love me. There's a third one. Jesus removes the shame from him. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He doesn't say, you know what, Peter? You're right. And this failure that you've had, this this brokenness you're living in is what you have to live in for the rest of your life. You are a failure. Was it horrible what he did? Yeah. Was it humbling what he did? Yeah. But Jesus is helping Peter realize he does not have to be defined by this. Jesus chooses Peter to lead the church despite the failures. Despite the failures. His failures, not his successes, would be the reason why. He would be so great at what God was calling him to do. Peter's failures would be the gateway to his need for grace and his understanding of the gospel. His need for grace and his understanding of the gospel. What do we see from Peter's life? How do we find the restoration that you and I need? There's a brokenness. We need a bond. And we need to realize that with Jesus, there is always a fresh start. There's always a beginning.